Hey, this is Gary Cerrone from Hurt Smile and Extreme, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey there, I'm Dick Wagner, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Vivian Campbell, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 250 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the internet. We've got for you in episode 250, vocalist of the band Hurt Smile, Gary Sharon. Gary, also the vocalist of Extreme, obviously, did a little uh, album with a band called Van Halen back in the 90s, uh, so Gary is no stranger. A great new album called Retro Grenade, which is available now. It's brother, a band with his brother Mark Sharon, Joe Pescia, and Dana Spellman. So we're going to talk to Gary in just a moment. Also joining us on the show, host of several podcasts, uh, a good friend of mine, Bob Nalbandian, is going to be on to talk about a new film series he's working on called Inside Metal, The Pioneers of L.A. Metal. So we'll get to conversation with Bob in just a little bit. But again, Gary Sharon, uh, obviously still with Extreme. They're still going strong and doing tours uh, with Nuno. Nuno is uh, doing some other projects as well. Uh, Gary's got this band, Hurt Smile, which is put on an album a couple years ago they've got a brand new album as i mentioned retro grenade which is available now you can go to hurtsmile.com and get more information on that album we'll get into the interview with gary sharon all right ladies and gentlemen grace me great pleasure to welcome to the show from hurt smile and extreme gary sharon how you doing gary i'm doing good thank you for having me guys my pleasure um obviously want to talk to you about the new hurt smile record that's going to be coming out um can you just kind of back us up to, to how the idea for the band Hurt Smile kind of took took shape a few years ago? Sure. Uh, yeah, long story short, it's funny. Um, I think it was uh, 2000, 2007, Mark, Mark, my brother, and I uh, hooked up. Uh, we were going to we were gonna do a Who tribute night, uh, you know, Who's Next Live, and uh, mm-hmm. we, put, we put kind of a tribute band together for the Who. Uh, that we've played, you know, regionally around the clubs just for fun. But I, I did, I did have a, I did have a plan in my head. You know, Extreme wasn't together at the time, and uh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to write with my brother Mark. You know, he's been in, he's been in a bunch of bands, and uh, you know, we've watched each other's careers, and uh, just want, always wanted to see if I could uh, write with my brother. We ended up. Uh, writing some songs and it was more of a project, you know, a Hurt Smile project. Uh, mm-hmm. put out a few songs on the internet. And then Extreme got back together, so I put Hurt Smile on hold for uh, for that little cycle and the last Extreme record and then I got back mm-hmm. with them and uh decided to finish what I started. So we put out a record in two thousand eleven and now uh I'm uh juggling a couple bands. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad thing to be in, and you know, in the state of music these days, it doesn't hurt to have a couple different avenues. You know, obviously, 
Nuno uh, taking the opportunity to work with Rihanna in, in, a, in a gig that really you can't pass up. You know, very similar to probably your situation with Van Halen back uh, 15 years or so ago. So um, l- let me ask you this question, because the one thing I noticed when I listen to Retrograde uh, is how similar this sounds to your work in the past. I mean, your involvement as far as the writing of, of guitar and things like this, are, are you pretty heavily involved in that? Um, well, I, I play a little guitar, but I, I certainly wouldn't... Uh, <clears throat> take credit for any for any of the guitar uh, you know i'm a i consider myself a, a co-writer um whether whether it was eddie in the past or obviously you know um i write to the riffs that they present you know mm-hmm. in this case with hurt smile you know rock and roll cliche uh mark mark would be jamming on a riff it would catch my ear the band the band would be uh you know hashing it out in rehearsal and uh I'd be scatting over it. That, that's how the rock songs come. The, the mm. more the poppier stuff or the the slower stuff, you know, I'll I'll write on a I'll write on acoustic or or the other guys will as well. Now, you know, with, with you and Mark, obviously, you you came up obviously from a lot of the same influences. I would think around the home, and the one thing I think we've always noticed with you, uh, you know, over the course of your career in any extreme record or hurt small record, is just the the wide array of, of sounds and styles. I mean, was that, can you kind of attribute that maybe to your parents or, or was there something in particular you guys kind of latched onto as kids that you listened to? Um, yeah, you know, growing up, uh, yeah, I grew up with four brothers, so we all had similar and, 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 and as we grew, as we grew older, you know, tastes changed. So, um, I would attribute that to being surrounded by music and, uh, e- even from, you know, I can remember my earliest earliest days listening to, uh, you know, on the radio, and, and my mother gravitating towards Neil Diamond and Tom Jones. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm fans of those guys. Or in, in my father's case, uh, you know, Sinatra was Sinatra. So we were introduced to that spectrum of music, and of course, growing up, 70s, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, Queen. You know, that was our era, that classic rock era. Kiss, Cheap Trick. You know, uh, back then, you know, the band had, a, I think, in a way, very diverse individual identities, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would put Queen at the top of that only in a sense that they were the most diverse within within the band. Absolutely. You know, and obviously different writers, but, uh, you know, when you're hearing, uh, you know, Love of My Life and We'll, you know, we'll rock you a rock rock song and a camp vaudeville song. You know, being a kid, you never, you didn't necessarily comprehend it. You could hardly, you could hardly comprehend it. Mm-hmm. But it was like, what, what, what is this? It was almost space music to me. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was alien to me. So that a lot of that, I would attribute to, uh, um, the, those bands, those type of bands. Mm-hmm introduced you to something other than just rock, you know, right. Right. Yeah. And that's something I think, you know, like I said, you can pick that out really any album I've heard you participate in. There's always, you know, it is an 11 songs that sound the same, you know, you, you kind of are all over the map, which keeps it really, really interesting. You know, Um, is this your first foray into pledge music with this album? 
Yeah, it was, um, you know, Pat Badge is the bass player of Extreme. He, uh, he's doing a solo record. It's actually coming out soon as well. And um, he did the pledge thing, and, he, you know, he was telling me about it, and it just seemed uh, it seemed like the way to go. We, we made, uh, it was actually, the process was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, we made... We made some money to to uh you know pay for the record and, and do some things um, but that was that was you know it was a, a pledge i consider a pre release we're we're releasing the record uh mm-hmm. digitally globally uh soon october seventh right yeah i was just curious it, it's such a fun way i think for for a, a fan of a band uh, you know especially a, a you know somebody with your history the different things, the things you were able to offer to the fans, you know, some you know handwritten lyrics to more than words and some really cool swag from the Van Halen 3 era, you know, as well as, you know, a chance to really be in, you know, kind of yeah. the ground floor with a new band. It's kind of a fun fun way to do it. And, and, it, and it really was, you know, at first, uh, you know, I'm going, am I really going to have to dig through my closet and, you know, dig up some stuff? <laughs> and then I'm, I'm pulling the stuff out I haven't seen and, and uh, you know, so many years, and then um, I don't know who suggested um, you know writing writing the lyrics, and uh, I did about did about twelve or thirteen different songs, okay. and um, it was great to see. Obviously, more than words was was the biggest one, but um, it was great to see the fans, you know, suggesting you know Van Halen tune. Or, um, you know, a solo song, something you know, tragic comic, where we—that to me was fun until until I had to until I actually had to write them and <laughs> found myself. Uh, you know, it, I never did one in the first draft. It was either it was three to five at least yeah. each one. So it was it was fun, but it was work. <laughs> yeah, you have to think about it. How many times do people actually sit and write out something by hand anymore? You know, it's kind of a cool way to do it. I think you probably go through most modern musicians. You find lyrics scribbled in, you know, an iPad or a, uh, you know, some sort of text editor or something. So it's kind of a neat, neat way to do it. Right. Um, are Are you guys going to be able to take this out on the road? I know you're having an album release uh, party, but do you have any plans of trying to to hit the road with this at all? Uh, yeah, that, you know, that's the plan. We got to go through a few hurdles. You know, right at first we're doing the record release in October. Hopefully, do a few few more regional gigs. Then, then um, uh, Extreme's going to be uh, writing and recording in the in the winter. So okay, uh, fall winter. So then uh, we'll do that at the end of the year, and then after that, come back home, and uh, you know Pat, who will be in LA with me with Extreme. He's going to release his solo record, and we plan on uh, touring and doing a few things together. You know, uh, no, that'll be and, fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. which which is uh, which will be fun for both of us, you know, and the guys that are playing with. And then hopefully we're, we're going to try to get to Japan. We'll see how far we can take it, but uh, we got to go through a few hurdles to get to get Absolutely. places. You know? Yeah, it's it's always kind of tricky, you know, when when you you know being known as extreme to try to get, uh, you know, booking agents and things like that to realize, you know, what they're getting right. with a new, right. with a new band. 
Yeah, and, and so that's another reason why we'd want to do something together. I think it would raise the profile uh, Absolutely. Of, of that, that package. I wanted to mention that you mentioned uh, the, 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 the diversity in the past, and, and mm-hmm. obviously with the Hurt Smile record, I wanted to add that, uh, uh, you know, that's been a blessing and a curse for Extreme in the past, mm-hmm. uh, as well as, you know, it can be a good and bad thing. To me, at this point, but at this point in my career, um, uh, you know, I look at it. As, I look at it as a positive. It reminds me, though, of the days when More Than Words was, you know, burst out on the scene and followed by Wholehearted, and uh, you know, the perception of extreme throughout the years. You know, the ballad band and mm-hmm. and and all that. Um, but you seem, you obviously seem to get it. Um, and know actually where extreme is coming from, and obviously hurt smile, and uh, you know I think I think it, I would hope to think it's a breath of fresh air that keeps keeps um, the listener the listener interested because the unless you're ACDC, I don't want to hear ten of the same songs. You know? Yeah, they get I mean, I love, so yeah. some bands who do some bands who do that and do that well. You know, and that's why I bring up ACDC. Uh, they're the best at it. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you think, and you bring up a very great point. I think a, a lot of people, you know, a, a super hit song that you know was tender could be a blessing mm-hmm. and a curse. I think if you ask anybody in Mr. Big, you'll probably get a very similar answer. You absolutely. Know, sure. What you know when you have a white hot hit, and I mean, and that hit was is probably is. is big as it had in that era um that can certainly be a blessing and a curse you know because a lot of people come to expect that out of you you know and it you know had it been um you know maybe decadence dance that was the big hit it would certainly change i think people's overall perception of the band um you know, yeah but, uh, sure and, and that and that played a role throughout touring throughout mm-hmm. you know uh i mean we we were never consistent Sure, we, um, you know, we toured with Bon Jovi, but we toured with Brian Adams and ZZ Top, and you would think, you know, there'd be some inconsistency there. Uh, now, looking back on it, those were, you know, those were great memories, and, and that helped build uh, uh, the, ex- you know, the perception of Extreme being a little bit more than just, um, you know, meat and potatoes, decadent stance. But it took... Right. You know, it's easy to it's easy to talk on the other side of the mountain, you know, from from this perspective. But during those years, um, it was it was difficult. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where you know, at the time, you know, you're probably doing well financially because of it. But it did maybe pigeonhole. You know, it's kind of like being a successful actor on a sitcom. You know, you're kind of people. That's yeah. what they come to expect from you. <laughs> Um, sure, and and also, you know, looking back on it in retrospect, uh, you know, the success of More Than Words, you know, not only put us on the map, but it put it, it put us on a pretty big map. So uh, the residuals to that was people did buy the record and they yeah. were exposed to the get the funk out and the, the decadent stances. So if, if More Than Words didn't have that success who knows 
who knows if, you know, Torn Graffiti would have marginally sold like the first record. And, yeah. You know, yeah, the I mean, that's, right. that's a great point. I mean, and it's, but let me ask you this when when you guys went to do the, the follow up, Three Thoughts, Three Sides, did you feel like there was a gun to your head to, to kind of create that magic again? Well, from the, from the record company's perspective, uh, uh, you know, that there was that pressure, but from our, you know, uh, um, pig headed, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word from our, uh, you know, we, we came off the success of porn graffiti and there was, there was money, you know, there was money to make the next record. And we were like, okay, this is our chance. So that's why we, we, we proudly got indulgent, you know, sure. and said we're, we're going to do what we want to do. And, uh, you know, you know, working working with a record company is always, you know, repeat your success. Repeat, you know, where's the more than yeah. words on that record? And we yeah. didn't give them a, we, we didn't deliberately not give them more than words. We were we were like, okay, here's your acoustic song, here's tragic comic, mm-hmm. uh, but this is where we're at now. Um, so that's how, that that was pretty much our relationship. We didn't have a, a caustic relationship with the record company, but uh, we were pretty. We were pretty pig-headed. Sure. Know? Now, let yeah. me ask you this: what was what was the reaction when you gave them pornography? I mean, was there a, you know, what the hell is this kind of, you know, reaction, or or did they embrace, you know, wholehearted and things like that pretty quick? Um, well, they liked the record then, the first record. They thought it was a good record. We did have uh, uh, we did have long discussions about, you know, we were pitching it as a concept record. And, and it's funny how you mentioned the eclecticism. Um, I remember a conversation. Uh, they they didn't want when I first kissed you on the record, and I was arguing. Well, no, that's part of the story, and I was telling mm-hmm. them the story. And they go, "Well, that's you know, it's a B side, and you'll confuse the audience." And we're like, you know, we won that battle. Um, but then we, you know, we toured with Pornography. You know, the clubs. We went to Europe. Did some clubs. It was it was dead in the water. Nine months. We were we were mm-hmm. actually writing three sides every story. It wasn't until the record and the tour, we we're finishing up our European tour, that uh, more than words was like the fourth song released. Yeah. And and then uh, it took a life of its own. And, uh, yeah. So then everybody ran with it. So it wasn't. People thought it was a good song, but you know, no one. You know, and wholehearted was was pretty much riding the quest of uh, riding the crest of the acoustic mm-hmm. more than words. So, you know, we put out decadence. I think get the funk out. I forget the. Yeah, I think more than words was probably the third song we released. Okay. But, um, yeah. So that was that was an interesting. Yeah, it's uh, always interest interesting in hindsight to think you know had that order of the songs or, you know, maybe if wholehearted preceded more than words that maybe it doesn't do what it does. And the record company says, okay, you know, go, go give us the follow-up, forget about this record. You know, it's, right. it's, you know, look at right. the, the history of Beth from kiss. I mean, that was kind of a throwaway track in their mind and, sure. you know, bang. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. but anyway, I want to thank you, Gary. I, I know you have other things to do. And again, the new album comes out August 7th, if I'm not mistaken, or October 7th, sorry. October 7th, um, correct. And uh, that'll be great. And you can get that uh, 
Hurt Smiles Facebook page, um, iTunes, etc. So, uh, eh. But uh, thank you. I'm glad. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Take All right. care. All right, a giant thanks to Gary Sharon. Always cool to get a member of Extreme and Van Halen on the show, so we'll take that. Again, the new Hurt Smile record, Retro Grenade, is available now. Check that out. I'm going to turn our attention now to Bob Nalbandi and a good friend of ours uh, with the show. He is the host of the Shockwave Hard Radio Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast, uh, which is a, a great, great show. Bob has been around the uh, music industry longer than many of us have been alive, and he was there from the beginning, which is what all this film is about. Um, the project, I know he started, it seems a couple of years now, he started this project, the Inside Metal Pioneers of L.A. Metal, L.A. Hard Rock and Metal film, which is a, it turned out to be a two-DVD, three-hour documentary that uh, I think folks, especially those of us, as I talked to him about in the interview, who didn't grow up in the L.A. area, you know, we, we were accustomed to the bands we saw on MTV, the bands that were kind of spoon-fed to us by the major labels. Uh, Bob had the uh, perspective a little bit different than many of us were able to enjoy where he was there when the bands were playing clubs, when the Van Halens of the world were still at Grizzari's, uh when Metallica were doing their first shows, uh, Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes. So the film uh, includes interviews with uh, many, many artists, and what's kind of neat is it's it's kind of like the greatest and the least. There's interviews with Metallica, you know, bands like... A rat and quiet riot, but also uh, legs diamond. Uh, you know, so bands that you know many of us who were not in the state of California in the '80s didn't ever get to experience. So, really, a really great movie. So, we're going to turn our attention now to an interview with Bob Nalbandi, and you can check that out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show podcasting veteran and producer of Inside Metal. We've got Bob Nalbandi on the line. How you doing, Bob? Great, John. Great to talk to you again, man. So yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, you had kind enough to send us a copy of the Pioneers of L.A. Hard Rock and Metal, and I have to say, as a kid who grew up in Western PA and who learned about rock and metal from Circus and Hit Parader, this was like going so far beyond anything that we even knew existed as youths. Uh, I can't thank you enough for the film. It's, it's, it was phenomenal. Um, you can you just give us a little on your background and how you kind of fit into this world. I know you're obviously from California um, and were there during a lot of this. Can you talk a little bit about your background for us? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in uh, in Orange County in Huntington Beach, uh, which is about an hour south of L.A. So I would drive up to L.A. as soon as I got a driver's license, drive up and check out all the shows. Uh, so I was, I was very fortunate to be right in the heart of it. You know, I mean, I saw the, the very first show of Metallica, you know, I saw Motley Crue and, and Rat and all these bands in the clubs, you know, Wasp, Armored Saint, their very early shows. Um, there's, there's, it's, it's funny. I, I know in the movie, Jack Russell jokes about, uh, seeing you two at the Woodstock and there were like yeah. seven people in the audience. I was one of those seven. I was there, but <laughs> I, I had to, I actually, I, my, I love to say I saw you two in front of like a handful of people and I walked out. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't because I didn't like them. It was like I, I had a curfew. I had to be home by midnight, you know, because uh, I was like 16 at the time. But I do remember going to see the opening band and it was kind of a packed audience. Yeah. And they, they went on late. They went on like um, back then late was like 1230, 1245. And uh, by that time, I, I wanted to catch like at least a song of theirs. So. Yeah. 
you know. But yeah, I saw a lot of those those great bands. Uh, even you know the the very first Guns N' Roses shows and and and. Uh, but you know, so being in L.A., you know, I missed Van Halen and I missed uh, uh, you know Quiet Riot with Rhodes. I did see Dubro uh, as Dubro later with mm-hmm. Greg Leon on guitar. But um, being Growing up here, I guess I was a little bit spoiled in that sense. Um, a little, yeah. But yeah, but uh, you know, seeing all that and just seeing uh, how how huge the scene was back then, and even before my time, like I never quite made it out to the Starwood, but I remember all those bands because when they went snow and a la carte, I mean, a la carte was from Orange County, but you know, Smile and Greg Leon, all these cats would play uh, Orange County, I would always check them out. And, and, and these were huge bands, you know, back in the day and they just never really got the notoriety. Everyone knows of Van Halen and then it kind of jumps to, you know, the Motley Crue rat, you know, the dog and that thing, but they don't remember that when Van Halen was playing, there was a huge hard rock metal scene, probably bigger than the, the mid eighties as far as attendance wise easily. And, um, you know, these bands were fantastic. And uh, I thought, you know, wh- why doesn't anybody touch on these bands in this scene, which was such a huge scene? I mean, everyone concentrates on the latter 80s, and that's something I didn't want to do. And that's why we're not going to get into, you know, as you know, the next uh, uh, title, the L.A. Metal Scenes Explodes, is going to be kind of a continuation, go from like 82 to about 86. Right. but. You know, everyone concentrates on, you know, when, when the poisons and the whole hair metal scene hit. So that's what everyone thought LA is. It's just all about the glam hair metal band. But exactly. that's not the case at all. And especially back in the earlier days, it was way more about the integrity of the music than the image. And that's really what I wanted to portray. Yeah. And what I found interesting, you know, going through this movie, you talk to guys, uh, you know, in bands that people like me, you know, we knew Nikki Six was in a band before Motley Crue, and you talked to that band. You know, the same thing with you know a lot of these things. You know, Snow and and uh, you know these things that we as people in you know outside of you know the scene in L.A. We saw the bands that made it big. We saw the Van Halen. We saw the Poisons. We saw Metallica. But Metallica, you know, on tour with Ozzy Osbourne. You know that right. kind of thing. So we were very limited in what we got to see. You know, we saw what the record companies and the MTVs of the world kind of cherry picked from your environment. Um, so this, what I think makes the film so fascinating was to go back and look at, you know, talk to, you know, you talk to people who made it as big as can be and people who, you know, unfortunately kind of missed out. Um, right. You know, so that was something very, very interesting. Was there particular, um, like when you were formulating the plan for these movies, you mentioned, you know, a, a follow-up one. I mean, did you have kind of a grand scheme when you laid this out? And, you know, here's what we're going to do in each one of these films. And, and how far into the present time do you guys go? Yeah, kind of, well, um, it's kind of interesting how this came about. This actually wasn't, um, I kind of came into this project. Um, a guy by the name of Warren Croyle, uh, who you may know, he's an old uh, L.A. metalhead from, I mean, he worked alongside, uh, he did a lot of those old uh, engineering, all the old combat records in the early 80s, Ash and Metal, and he worked alongside, you know, big-name producers like Andy Johns, his uh, engineer, and he worked at Music Grinder Studios, so he was involved uh, in, in that level with all these artists and was a huge metal fan, and uh, Joe Floyd, who... Uh, 
he's known for years, who's uh, uh, the guitar player and brainchild of the great L.A. metal band Warrior, okay. uh, who had that album Fighting for the Earth back in 85. They kind of had an idea to do this. Um, Warren has a very, very successful DVD business. He doesn't do a whole lot in music. He does a lot on um, a lot of uh, conspiracy kind of DVDs about aliens or Bigfoots, UFOs, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff, which does does very well. Right. And uh, he kind of wanted to get in back into music, and he wanted to basically get Joe back involved because Joe has been, had been involved in, in uh, recording as a producer, recording studio, uh, Silver Cloud Studios. And so he kind of, you know, threw this idea at Joe, and Joe didn't really know where to go about it. And I had Joe on one of my shockwave, one of the uh, latter shockwave skull sessions podcasts on producers, uh, ironically, and him and John Bush, and I believe I had Michael Butler on that episode. And at that time, that was when Joe first uh, talked to me. He says, "You know, Warren and I were talking about doing this L.A." Uh, metal documentary, and at the time he, they didn't even talk about a series, just an LA metal documentary. And would you like to be involved? And I'm like, sure. You know, I I, I love you, Joe. I love your work. I I'm sure it would be great. And uh, you know, I I knew who Warren was. I had done kind of some business with him in the past, and because he did uh, worked with a lot of overseas labels that I did some licensing deals with right. as well. So that kind of tied in. And then we, you know, and then when I thought about it, I said, look at you know. I don't want this to be another L.A. If I'm going to be involved, I kind of took the the reins and saying, because, you know, if I'm going to put my name out there and get involved in this, I don't want it to be the same thing in about the latter 80s and, you know, the the same thing that you've seen on BH1. Right. You know, I mean, Decline, you know, did a great job at that. And that was uh, during that time. I want to do something that looks back. And I wanted to go beforehand. You know how I'm really into the underground bands. And, Absolutely. And I was so into these these great bands. Snow was one of my favorite. You know, I still love all the cards because they were an Orange County band. And, you know, Armored Saint in the early days and, and all these great bands. But I, I, I kind of pitched that idea to them. And they, they loved it. You know, we had a conversation. And, you know, Joe being a, a musician himself and old school, he goes, yeah, that's the... A, what I want to do and, and Warren agreed, you know, and, you know, on a business sense, you know, Warren said, you know, I, we got to get the big names in there too. And, you know, which I did with, you know, the Lars Ulrichs and, you know, Don Dawkins and, uh, you know, Carlos Cavazo and stuff. But, right. you know, I, I wanted to give equal treatment to a lot of these bands that were just as big uh, back in, you know, say 79, 80 that never quite made, you know, uh, you know, hit the big time. So um, that that's kind of how that came about. And it was great that, I had a great team, uh, not only Joe and Warren, but, you know, Carl Alvarez, who is uh, my partner, who I've known for many years. He worked with me on the Shockwaves video cast. I brought him in, and he's old school, you know, into the L.A. metal scene, and as well as uh, Curtis Don Vito and um, Robert Gaston, my associate producers and editors. Um, they're, they're, they all had a passion for this, and, and I think that's what really made it special. We were all into this scene together, and, you know, it was something that, you know, a, a lot of us were a little bit younger, so we didn't quite grow up, but it was something that we were all fascinated by. So sure. I think that really helped the project, you know, g- give it just that real passion, you know. Sure. Now, did you do all of the interviews that we see? Yeah, uh, pretty much. I had a, a Carl assisted me on a few of the interviews. Uh, Joe did most of the filming. Uh, there were a couple interviews like Malcolm Dome, which was done out of England. Right. I like to put up some questions and he had 
a couple of his friends uh, interview him there. Sure. Uh, but I think, yeah, for the most part, all the interviews uh, were done by me and, and Carl uh, assi- uh, assisted on a lot of them. So just out of curiosity, because I'm you know, not a filmmaker myself, but how many hours of real footage do you have that you had to edit this down? Because that, to me, it, would have been the hard part. Yeah, we had about, uh, oh, God, uh, uh, you know, a couple hundred hours probably. Um, well, uh, you figure we had, uh, no, no, I'd say about a hundred. I'd say uh, truthfully about a hundred. We did uh, – um, and I'm talking for all three titles for the for the second right. and third. We we did all the interviews at once, so uh, each interview was roughly about 45 to an hour, and we probably did uh, you know about 100 uh, interviews total. Okay. So uh, it's it's a lot of footage to go through. You know, it, it's funny because I, I I remember talking to uh, Martin Popoff, who does all the research for mm-hmm. Banger Films. You know, Sam Dunn's movies, and right. he said like with Metal Evolution, he had to go through over 300 hours. So. He kind of gave me some tips on how to go through this stuff. And, you know, I, I understand what they had to go for because they had, an, 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 you know, like an episode on, say, thrash metal that they had mm. to put into like 37 minutes. You know, it was yeah. like an hour program minus the commercials. So, you know, I could imagine how much editing and, and stuff they had to go through. So it's it's a process. But there's there's so much great bonus footage. We hope to get that out uh, on a special DVD package. The DVD will come out the first of the new year. We'll probably have a... Uh, a special limited edition, which will include a bunch of uh, deleted scenes and uh, bonus material. And we'll probably have it up on our YouTube page, too. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that kind of kept it interesting, you know, is, you know, doing interviews myself, as you do, you know, we typically air them in their entirety or, you know, cleaned up, um, you know, if there's interruptions and things like that. But you get 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever, of an artist. And one of the things that I found particularly interesting about your film was the weaving in of different interviews in clips to tell the story as opposed to just laying out here's 15 minutes of Don Dawkins and his dog. Um, you know, you, you tied that all together. Did you get involved with the editing or is that? Oh yeah, that, that was the hardest part. And, and that, and that's exactly what we wanted to do is we wanted to do as, as much a limited narration as possible mm-hmm. for it to just tell its story and just to flow into the story with, with the uh, quotes that we had. And right. Basically, how that worked is is I went through all the material, the hours and hours of footage, and I would make the notes, and I would write down the time codes of what clips to use, and I would work on this with Carl Alvarez, and he would, uh, I would give it to him. I think the first edit we did was like a, it came to about four hours. Okay. So then we had to tighten that up and tighten that up, and then once we got it to uh, what we uh, – uh, thought was was good, which was still well over uh, uh, four, uh, close to four hours. We uh, uh, gave it to uh, uh, Robert, and uh, he started editing, chopping it down a little bit more, conci- you know, making it more concise. And then we added in the narration and all that. And it wasn't originally going to be a two DVD set. It was, uh, you know, I mean, the great thing is with with this, uh, since it's not airing. Uh, I mean, you know, when it comes to cable, I mean, Warren was great in, in saying this. He goes, dude, if we get it on cable or whatever, you could always edit it down. He says, sure. make it, because I had to really struggle. He said, you know, the DVD has to be 100 minutes, no longer, you know, 90 to 100 minutes. And I said, dude, I've, I've got like two hours of footage. If we cut it down anymore, it's it's going to lose the impact. It's going to lose, there'll be holes in the story, gaps, you know. Mm. 
And at that point, he said, well, dude, just just make it two DVDs. Make it a two DVD set. I'm like, really? Wow. Goes, yeah, why not? So I, that, and that way I, I added two 90 minutes. So it is a little bit long, but I, I wanted to really tell the whole story because the story has never been told. This is yeah. something that's never uh, been really told in the public, even in, in books and stuff. People right. kind of just glance, you know, glance over this era. So I figure if it's going to be done, let's do it right. And like cool. you said, if we do have to, uh, you know, if we do get it on, say, a VH1 classics or whatever, we could always edit it down to, to uh, at that point or just do it in two volumes, you know, do yeah. it in sections or whatever. If they want to do it, you know, hour-long sections, they could do it in a three-part. You know, that there's different ways we could do it. So he said, don't even worry about that. Just make it to where... You know, you think it's good, and we'll we'll worry about that then. So I, I really like that attitude, and that I got the freedom to do it my way. Um, you know, we we don't get me wrong, we fought on a lot of stuff, believe me. But you know, he understood it, and that that was the main thing is is, is he understood what I was going for and what what we all kind of wanted. Like I said, we we all were kind of a part of this era, so we all kind of saw the importance. And, uh, you know, on a business level, like I said, you know, obviously to sell, he wanted the big names, which, which we got, mm-hmm. but we, we made it a good balance. We didn't make it out like give any special, uh, footage or treatment to someone like Lars as opposed to someone like a Scotty Waller. I mean, mm-hmm. we, it's, it's kind of an equal, uh, thing because we wanted to bring the, uh, the viewer back to the late seventies and back yeah. to the eighties, how it really was then and the bands that were, uh, you know, uh, big and popular. And so that, that's kind of what we wanted to do. Yeah. And, and in a way that is very much, I think, how the film works. Obviously there was a little bit more attention to Van Halen, but obviously Van Halen influenced the rest of that scene. The same with, you know, Metallica and Motley Crue, but you didn't overdo what they went on to do, because everyone else knows that already. There are countless films on all those bands and, and behind the musics and things like that. But, you know, you kept it to that era and what was happening there, which made it, uh, I think, work very, very well. Um, question for you now. Okay, you've got these made. Obviously, you mentioned uh, the DVD, but you're also going to try to get these on the big screen. Um, what's right. the, What's the plan there? Well, you know, it's funny. There, there originally wasn't that plan. I mean, that was something I always wanted to do, and and you know, we we were talking about that. But um, you know, Warren is mainly a, a DVD guy. When we when we put this out, we said, you know, we'll get it out, we'll get on DVD, and of course, get on Netflix and all that kind of stuff. But the theater thing came up when we did the uh, rough screening back in June. I did a private screening for for all the artists and friends, and and it was very successful, and it was great. And we had uh, a guy by the name of Doug Cluthy came down from DRK Productions, and he does uh, theater screenings for independent, primarily rock documentaries. He does a lot of the the Sam Dunn movies, like the Rush movie, and he's doing the upcoming Guns N' Roses uh, 3D movies. So, you know, he does this kind of thing, and he loved the movie. And he says, you know, I'd love to take this to the theaters. And we're like, wow, so would we. This would yes. be awesome, you know. But uh, he says, you know, it, it is an expense to do that, and it really wasn't within our budget. We had a very small budget. So that's where the fan back thing came about. He teamed up with Bob Party from Concrete Marketing, and uh, we also teamed up with Chipster PR, and uh, they put together a, a, a crowdfunding campaign for us, uh, called fanbacked mm-hmm. and um fanback.com and 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 the 
actual site to our fundraising campaign is metalrockfilms.com. And so what we're doing is trying to get uh, enough funds to um, properly promote it in the theaters. We, we've already booked several dates, and we're going to announce the dates, uh, hopefully, by early next week. Because okay. uh, the, the, the dates are going to happen, but we st- there's still need income to actually promote and market it correctly sure. and add some more dates too. So we, we, we want to get this to as many cities as possible and we really want to do it right and make it a special event. So the more money we could raise, the, the more special we could make it for the, for the audience. We'd love to do, bring in a lot of the uh, musicians in the movie to a lot of these theater showings and do a Q and a afterwards. We did that here in North Hollywood at mm-hmm. the IES festival and we had, you know, half the people that were in the film were in the audience. And then afterwards we had like a round table discussion and, you know, and it was really cool. All the, the audience really got involved and, and it was a really cool thing. So, you know, hopefully we could do something like that. And that's, that's why we're trying to raise some, uh, some funds to make this a really killer event. Yeah, that certainly will be, you know, um, so that is, uh, on fanback.com. Obviously you've got a lot of great, uh, you know, kind of rewards and uh, kudos for, for donations, signed DVDs, you know, that kind of stuff. So I invite folks to check that out. You're on Facebook at uh, Inside LA Metal Movie Doc, which, of course, right. we'll put a link up to as well. So, Bob, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. We wish you all the best with the film. Well, thank you, John. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it's great catching up with your, you. I love the... Uh uh, all your writings you do for a Guitar World and, of course, uh, the Iron City Rocks podcast. And uh, what you've done for the community, I, I want people to know that you were uh, involved in putting together the Cast Iron Ring, which helped immensely with my podcast and getting it out to the people because uh, people don't know I'm just a, a, a total dud when it comes to anything <laughs> technology-wise, and John helped me out immensely, and I want to thank you for all your support in the past, John. My, my pleasure, Bob. All right, a giant thanks to Bob Nobbandy, and again, he's the host of the Shockwave Skull Sessions, Shockwave's Hard Radio Podcast. You can find those both on iTunes if you Google them. They're very easy to find. We'll include some links. Uh, the movie itself, uh, you can check out fanbacked.com. Uh, you can search for Inside Metal, Pioneers of LA Metal, also their Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Inside LA Metal Movie Documentary which is a lot to remember, so we'll throw a link to that on Iron City Rocks as well. Um, it's a cool Facebook page. I, I her- thoroughly in- invite you to check that out uh, because uh, not only is he talking about the movie, but he's got so many great uh, pictures and, and stories to tell. It's it's like watching the Smithsonian of, of you know the melodic hard rock and metal era. Uh, and even into Thrash, it isn't just uh, you know the hair bands. Um, I'm looking right now at a really cool picture of Armored Saint from the day. So I think it's something that would speak to everyone. So again, check that out, and you can find that uh, on Facebook or fanback.com if you want to get involved. Uh, fanback.com has got some great uh, things to make a donation. You can get uh, the DVD. Uh, they've got some really cool memorabilia, T-shirts. Um, you know, There's even a guitar on there from uh, Glenn Burton that you can uh, get your hands on. So you want to check that out as well. I'm going to turn our attention now to uh, something just a little bit different. Uh, we Every once in a while we'll delve into the world of comedy and films, and I wanted to bring your attention to a, a really cool new short film that's going to be premiering uh, this weekend, actually October 26th, uh, at the Hollywood Theater in Dormont, Pennsylvania. The film is called The Other Side. Uh, it's a zombie film, which is uh, you know perfect this time of year with Halloween obviously coming upon us. 
Uh, so if you're in the area and you have a chance to check that out, you can find more information uh, by searching for The Other Side. Uh, go to facebook.com forward slash OPP, The Other Side. Get more information on that. But also what I really wanted to touch on the soundtrack uh, to the film as well, which has got a couple of veterans of the podcast, uh, some great uh, hard rock metal and even a little bit of pop music in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, bands like Homicide Black, Fist Fight in the Parking Lot, Order of Nine, all of which have been on the show. In addition to that, Super Void, the Florals, John Sitchie and Chris Booth, Dirty Charms, Venus in Furs, Brittany Bordella, Insult to Injury, and Ron Payne. So I'm going to check that out uh, for fans uh, uh, you know, who enjoy a film. It seems like obviously metal and horror movies go to together hand in hand. Um, you know, how many times have you seen you know a metal band do a, a movie soundtrack for a horror movie almost every movie so in the vein of rob zombie and uh, slasher films i invite you to check that again that's facebook.com opp the other side you can check that film out at the um 26 on the in dormont at the hollywood theater and uh, you can get the soundtrack information on the facebook page as well so without further ado why don't we play a, a little bit of music from uh, homicide black to lead us into the end of the show i want to thank you all for uh listening and we invite you to check us out at ironcityrocks.com facebook.com obviously twitter.com you can find us there we've got a uh, metric ton of uh, photos from judas priest doro uh, steel panther king diamond all of which were through the pittsburgh area in the last couple of weeks so want to thank all of you for packing out uh just cramming him in to stage ae to see king diamond uh, it was great to see uh, such a huge turnout in support of metal over the last week in our area so we invite you to keep coming out till you know we want to keep it coming in november with some more great shows so without further ado we're going to get into homicide black and we'll catch you next time 